Today's show is brought to you by Grammarly, an intelligent writing app. Download Grammarly's browser extension and create a free Grammarly account at www.getgrammarly.com forward slash holyback. Let's go! All right, everybody, welcome to the 179th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage chilling here in Beaverton, Oregon, ready for this podcast. Thank goodness we came out with a win against San Antonio, because this could be a very bummery-ass podcast if we uh, took so many L's that, that week. It's starting. It was starting to get very difficult to be positive, or at least not ultra-negative, on these weekly recordings because we just kept losing and losing and losing and nothing seemed to go our way. Uh, the Blazers went one and two on the week, but feel a little bit better about themselves after the big road win last night. Just to quickly recap, Portland went down to Sacramento, played a very shorthanded Kings team, blew a lead and ended up losing 107 to 99. They played the second night of a back-to-back the following night on Wednesday against the defending champion Raptors. Again, got out to a really nice lead in the first quarter, built it back up in the third, but Siakam was just too much late down the stretch. The Blazers went cold and ended up losing 114 to 106. And then Portland kicked off their six-game road trip in San Antonio, facing the Spurs for the second time in 19 days. And Sage, this one was an an odd game because it was a carbon copy of the game on October 28th. This time, the Blazers were able to just grit out a victory, 121-116. Your Trailblazers are now 5-8 on the season. And as bad as it seems, as bad as it feels... As bad as it frankly looks at times, the Blazers are still just two games out of the playoffs. Again, still 69 games to go, plenty of basketball left. So that win was necessary. Otherwise, there would have been much more urgency and panic in my voice. But I saw a lot of things in that fourth quarter that I really liked that I think will help the Trailblazers get victories over the course of, of the rest of the regular season. There was a few things in that last game that I was very happy about. Number one, and quoting a very nerdy tweet I saw on Twitter, when CJ McCollum gets ancillary stats and shoots efficiently, we are very tough to beat, and he looks like a damn all-star. Like, the points are, the points, like, they look great. They look super good. But when you win games is when you got guys getting rebounds and assists. That, like, the way he got those guys involved in the first quarter via assists and then got boards throughout the game, that shit helps, man, because the, the, the second leading rebounder on the team gets four and a half boards a game. So when you have a guard that's 6'3 getting rebounds at, at a good clip for him, it helps the team. And then us feeding Hassan when he has a plus matchup. Well, you really hit the nail on the head with CJ, and I would say with with Dame as well. They combined for 13 assists and just four turnovers, and they combined for 12 rebounds. You're getting basically Dame puts up 22, 6, and 6. CJ, 32, 7, and 6. They each have a steal. I know Dame couldn't throw it in the ocean, 
But what I liked was, yes, when Portland built that 23-point lead early, it was because we were moving the basketball. And as I've noticed over the course of the season, there's two reasons the lead starts to go away, and it goes away in a hurry. One, our bench, which we Mm -hmm. will touch on in, in just a little bit. But second, they do, and they, meaning Damon CJ, and it kind of trickles down to the rest of of the players who have a green light, start to isolate way too often, and they do play hero ball. And you're not going to find a bigger Damon CJ supporter than myself or even yourself, but they have a tendency to try to put it all on their shoulders for stretches of play when the going gets tough. And then you saw when Portland made that run down 15 with about seven or eight minutes to go, it was finding Hassan on the pick and roll. As you mentioned, he had a big time height and weight advantage down low. And they also found cutters like Nasir Little. Mm-hmm. The Blazers are a really difficult matchup for everyone in the entire NBA when Damon CJ not only look to score, but they're looking to get their teammates involved. And you saw that when Rodney Hood got the ball on the blocks At that time, CJ couldn't throw it in the ocean. Dame was ice cold. And they said, you know what, Rodney, you're having a good game. He was 6 of 8 for 16 points. You've got a good matchup. Go to work. He's our best back-to-the-basket player. And he got an and one, which really sealed the deal. So I think the Blazers have taken a lot longer to gel than we all expected. But that's what's going to need to happen if this Trailblazer team is going to find themselves in the playoffs at, at year's end. They, they're going to have to trust their teammates. And it may cost us a couple of games. But we saw against Philadelphia, Dame kicks it out to Ant for what would have been the game-winning three. We need to just do that more collectively. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not blaming Dame or CJ. They're the reason we're even a halfway decent basketball team. But if we are to take that step, especially without Nurkic and Zach Collins... We have other offensive weapons on on this squad, and we just have to continue to move without the basketball and, frankly, use Hassan Whiteside. I mean, this was what we all envisioned, 8 of 12 from the field, 5 for 5 from the free throw line, including two clutch free throws, 21 and 12, three blocks. Uh, Yes, some of it is on Whiteside. When he sets the screen, he needs to hustle his ass to the basket and rim run like hell. But he also needs to know that the ball is going to come his way. And frankly, it, it just hasn't mm. been as consistent. And then we finally saw another alley-oop. It's been the second on the year. He is a good player. We need to do our part as well and get him involved. It takes two to tango. He has to show some more urgency on the defensive end, which we saw on that key fourth quarter block on DeMar DeRozan. But Sage, it just seems like if they can get that two-man game going with the ball handler and Hassan Whiteside – each holding each other accountable, Hassan running to the rim, the ball handler looking for him. Seems like this could work until Nurk gets back. What do you think? I think that Damon CJ rush it too much when Hassan sets screens. They've they are way more patient with other bigs on the team, meaning they let the guy get set. Hassan takes a little longer to get set. It's probably because he's older and gone through a lot more. He basketball. is probably dealing with some sort of injury because yeah. he, he just isn't as explosive as yeah. he was even exactly. last year. Exactly. So it's like you got to let the guy get set and then go. And then you tr- that I, I've, I feel like Damon CJ, when they decide, hey, I'm going to pass it, 
it doesn't really matter about what the defense does. They'll throw it into three dudes just building a wall around the hoop. I think that they just need to run more pick and rolls. And when they see that it's an easy rim run, pass it. And when it's three dudes congested around the rim, probably pull it back and do something else. When you build a a wall around the basket, you can't want Hassan to just jump into that and try and dunk it when, well, if there's three people by the rim, it means two people are open right now. So it's all, all about like the the amount of times that they run it just because, yo, it's developing chemistry. Hassan was hurt. I think Hassan still is hurt. Just don't put him in a position where it's like a 5% chance that this works into our favor. If you remember when we acquired Raymond Felton from the Nuggets, we traded Andre Miller for him. I was with the team and we were working on a story about how he was really big into making a pocket pass, especially down to LaMarcus and that season was a disaster. Those pocket passes always resulted in turnovers. I see Damon CJ try to make those type of passes too on the pick and roll or whenever they're trying to force feed Hassan. It's like they're trying to make something happen that isn't there. Mm-hmm. And it's like they're predetermined exactly off of the pick and roll. They're not reading the defense at times. And they're, they really aren't the best passers at the guard position. That's not their strong suit. But when they make the easy and correct pass, not every pass has to be a bounce pass or a chess pass or a lob. Just read the defense and, and what they're going to give you. Hassan is a large target. If you see a lot of bodies in there, throw it up and let, let him go get it. At the very worst, he's going to get fouled. And hopefully that comes with more chemistry, working together. And again, I'm not trying to knock Dame or CJ. They do so much for this franchise. But if there is a, a critique of them, I would say it is distributing the basketball in, inside the paint. It just has never been a strong suit. But again, they continue to elevate their games. And this is something that they're going to need to improve upon if we're going to stay above water while our starting bigs return to the game. I think Mario Hazonia is the best person at getting uh, Hassan involved when he drives like a bat out of hell teams react to that. And then you've seen like high level assists from him when he like wraps around ball around his body and uh, gets it to Hassan. Also our guards need to stop doing bounce passes at dude's ankles. I do not blame Hassan on any of those assists where it just hits his feet. Cause he's seven feet tall. That shit is, you got to throw it at his chest, man. Don't make him don't make him be Calvin Johnson when he in a very cramped space on a pick and roll. But dude, when he gets the ball in his spaces, he's efficient as hell. It's just sometimes getting those passes to him is difficult. Yeah, and I would say one thing for Hassan, when he does get the ball, he does have a tendency, especially off an, off of an offense rebound, he likes to bring it down. Mm-hmm. He needs to stop doing that. Even the announcers are calling that out. It's just getting stripped, and he's not getting the whistle either. Keep it high and just, and just go up. So that's one area where I would like to see him work on because everyone, I mean, we're a 5-8 and eight basketball team. No one's perfect. Everyone has something they need to improve upon. So just don't bring it down. Just go straight up and and get the basketball. But yes, we do need to get him the ball. More times than not, he has got an advantage against the opposing big. And you look at his his game log throughout the week. Obviously, we talked about the 21 and 12 on 12 shots against the Spurs. But you go to the Toronto game, and I thought he had a really nice start to that game as well. 
But again, he only ends up with 12 shots in 30 minutes of action. You go to the Kings, where he had probably his best performance of the season the first time we were in Sacramento. And Hassan only gets nine attempts. And he was seven of nine. He was seven of nine. Foul trouble really did hurt him that game because of the first, the three quick ones. I but think he only that picked up one the rest of the way. True. But when you do I think that he, the the three games this week, three, right? He was very aggressive in getting his. Like you could see that he knew that he had an advantage and wanted to get his in, in these games. And to see see someone be aggressive about, yo, I see something, give me the ball. It's something that we've had trouble with throughout my time watching it is when we have a distinct advantage against somebody, we go away from it quite frequently. And Hassan or it doesn't is kind work of, once, and then we just say fuck it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I mean, when you see something work over and over again, it it kind of sucks when you go away from that thing that go, works over and over again. I mean, basketball is kind of, is a simple game when you really look at it. If something works eighty percent of the time, go do it a lot until they make something happen to make it to make that thing. I mean, the Kings just wanted that game more, and that's a little frustrating considering they haven't made the playoffs in God knows how long. We're supposed to be the veteran team. This is a red flag for me when it comes to the Blazers is they always play down to the level of their competition. This is what I would classify as the second really, really bad loss of the season. The first obviously being the Golden State Warriors when they were down basically everyone. Well, the Kings had Buddy healed, but he couldn't really get dialed in. He ended up just shooting 7 of 21. And and even even Bogdan shot 8 of 19. What really hurt us was the fact that we got no production from our bench. And this was a game where Nasir Little only played 6 minutes. Uh Anthony was 2 of 11. I mean, you look at Tolliver, one for six, Mario, one for four. And again, this was without Rodney Hood. I think we're starting to see in games where we don't have Rodney. But I mean, you look at that Philadelphia game, Philly made their their push when Rodney went out after colliding with Ben Simmons. Rodney is that third guy that we can just say, hey, go get us a bucket. More times than not, he's got a height or size advantage and he can shoot from outside with confidence, but he's also strong enough to get to the rim down low, especially off of off of a post up and cards who are able to post up is such a lost art. And the fact that we have one, I would love to see us take advantage of that even more often. And, you know, Dame shot six of 10, CJ 11 of 21. It wasn't the production from our guards that really lost it for us. We just had nobody else that, that really stepped up. And we, you said Hassan got those three fouls. And I think that was the turning point. It was kind of unfortunate that the turning point came early on in the first quarter and we were never able to get the momentum back. But something I wanted to bring up that I think you were right on early on is Scalabissier. And I was pretty high on how he had performed. I thought he played pretty well against the the Sixers without Hassan in that starting lineup. But I've been paying closer attention to him lately. And it seems like when Hassan goes out now and Scal's coming in, we just feel like we're we're getting bullied down low, both offensively and defensively. I don't know if 
for what reason, it seems like he's not playing with an aggression or even confidence. He's not really looking to score the ball. And when he does take an attempt, he seems really unsure of himself. But we're going to need him to find that gear that he had against the Kings in, in that regular season finale. And, you know, he was dubbed the, the training camp MVP. We're going to need that type of performance and production out of Scal because he and Hassan are only two legitimate big men on the roster and if Hassan ever gets injured or goes into foul trouble, we're going to call on Scow because Zach's out until March. Nurk, who knows? Pau Gasol, who knows? So it's the Hassan and Scow show for now. We just really need him to up his performance. I know you really kind of dialed in on when he gets the ball. Are you kind of nervous? And it's becoming that to me. He just seems kind of, um, like I said, not frightened, but he just... His confidence is lacking right now. That's the the best way I can describe it. I mean, when when our first rotation happens and Hassan and the starters go out, we almost always lose leads in that second quarter. It whatever it is, it happens to be when Scalabissier comes onto the floor, we start taking we we lose that lead that we gained that we worked so hard for. So maybe it's the fact that he's giving up points. He's the only real big on a on a second unit that doesn't really have like he isn't he he's a smaller big. Like he probably should be a power forward if we we're going to be real with ourselves. He doesn't he isn't bulky enough to handle backup bigs and that, I mean, that that's he's the problem. He's only 216 pounds. There's some some small forwards that are like those bigger small forwards are bigger than him. So it, he's he's going in it on a big weight and uh, size disadvantage. If you're going at like let's pull up the Kings, they have a legit seven footer off the bench. They have like there's teams with really big backup centers that when Scal goes against them has like a two inch and forty pound disadvantage against them. So it's a it's a it's a tough thing for uh, him to deal with, and I, I think another reason our bench is struggling, and I think this is to be expected, is Anthony's been a little inconsistent. Some nights he looks like the real deal and living up to the hype, and I believe he had a stretch of five or six games above double digit points. Other nights, like the Kings game, two of eleven, he struggled against the Spurs as well. Um, he had just seven points, three of eight shooting, and was a he was a team worst to minus 18 when he was on the floor. I've noticed from Anthony that he's improving on his man-to-man defense, but when teams like the Spurs like to get him in that pick and roll, he's having a hard time really fighting over those screens, and it just seems like that's where teams are getting the best of him is on that. You, so you factor in Anthony's youth and the development that comes along with playing a, a 20-year-old really in his rookie season. And then I don't think we have got the production from Kent Bazemore that we all expected. It's been, it's been a bag of tricks um, from Kent. I mean, it's like a grab bag. You don't know what type of performance you're going to get from him. Some nights he looks fantastic, especially in that Atlanta game, hitting those, you know, back-to-back threes off of the catch and shoot um, against the Spurs when he had that great and one. But other times he tries to create the offense and ends up turning the ball over or he tries to put the ball on the floor and and score the ball. Kent is a player that, again, if we're going to find ourselves 
above water when Nurik and Zach return, he is going to have to play more consistent. And I was listening to uh, Jason Quick's podcast, and he made a really good comparison that when we had the last really poor start to the season, which was 15-16, that was the year we lost six of our top seven rotation players and really only Dame returned, and this was before we even knew what we had in C.J. McCollum, is that we brought in Gerald Henderson from the Charlotte Bobcats in exchange for Nicholas Batum. And Henderson took almost a third of the season before he got into his groove. And really, by the time the season ended, he was a consistent force off of the bench, and you could really depend upon him. I think there's got to be hope there that you can get that same type of rhythm and production from Kent as he gets more comfortable with his role, with his new surrounding pieces, because the talent is there. I mean, he's got a smooth jump shot. He plays really aggressive on defense, and you need that type of role player. I just think Kent needs to find he needs to find his game. I think he's kind of stepped outside of his own skill set and tried to do things that lead to turnovers and unforced errors and missed shots. I think if he just stays within himself, plays his role we're going to start to see the Blazers be a stronger bench unit and we don't have to always worry when the starters kind of get their breather. Well, it makes me wonder what Stotts has for his role because he seems to think that he's a secondary ball handler and that shit ain't his role, man. Like he is a bad decision maker when he's on the drive. And if there's anyone near the hoop, he misses. Like he doesn't finish in traffic well. So it makes me wonder, is it Kent just stepping out of line this much? Or is Terry Stott saying, you're a veteran. We need you to be the secondary ball handler. And that shit just ain't him. I think it's the latter. I think Stott is giving him the, the green light. And if we're talking about ball handlers on the second unit, it needs to be Mario Hazonia and Anthony Simons. Yeah. I mean, we, we brought Mario in. And yes, he has struggled mightily. But to be fair... When he's in the game, we're not utilizing him how he should be utilized. He needs to have the ball in his hands. Like He, he needs to be a wrecking we, ball. He said when we signed him, I envisioned myself. They told me what we had in Evan Turner. Well, Evan Turner had the ball in his hands quite a bit. Mario's not. Mario's not a spot-up shooter. He's not someone you stick in the corner. He's not someone you post up or run offense through. He should be the one initiating the offense, post pushing the tempo off of the break. Like you said, a wrecking ball, You know, finding the shooter's having the defense converge on him and it just hasn't really, really worked out. Yeah. I, th- I think the, I think it has to be uh, Anthony and him being the only ball handlers. And then Kent going back to a role of catch and shoot and play fucking really lockdown defense because I don't, there, there's two people I really don't trust with the ball in their hands trying to make a pass. That's Kent Bazemore and Scott LeBissier. We need to Hazonia. For all of his faults, when he's a wrecking ball, he makes people react to him. And when you can force an opposing team to react to what you're doing, that means that there's open shooters like a Kemp Bazemore, like a Penny Simons, that can hit the three when he is that wrecking ball himself. Like There there was plenty of highlights where Hazonia drives and dishes it to one, one of our two bigs in the dunker spot for easy points. He just needs to be that that ball handler in that second unit, and Kent goes back to being the lockdown defender and spot-up shooter. 
But speaking of, of Hazonia, he lost his starting spot. He started against the Kings. Credit Terry Stotts. He tried knew something it, different. It, yep. He knew it wasn't working with Hazonia. Uh, Anthony Tolliver has been cut from the rotation the past two games. And rookie Nasir Little, who we all expected to probably spend more time in the G League than in the starting lineup this year, has really been forced into action. We got our first glimpse of him against the Brooklyn Nets two Fridays ago. And he made his first career NBA start against the Toronto Raptors. He had seven points, five rebounds, a steal, and a block in 22 minutes of action. And then against the San Antonio Spurs, 32 minutes, five points, eight boards, one assist. He missed quite a bit of his open shots. He had one of five from downtown, and he didn't particularly shoot the ball well against Toronto either, three of ten. But he made... Hustle plays. And I'm gonna gonna just look at the Spurs game. He made probably the biggest play of the game, mm-hmm. where it's a 111-111 game, about 90 seconds left, and it's a loose ball, and he's hustling for it against Rudy Gay, and ends up tossing it off of his chest, and then Rodney goes on to get that and one, which really gave us the lead for good. And on the prior play, he just rim runs sees the defense is converging on i believe it was cj mccollum cj finds him for a massive jam that i believe tied the game up or got us within a a bucket really cemented that our momentum was here to stay he looks like he knows his role the team is feeding off of his energy one i'm excited that nasir is playing and playing with energy you always love seeing that for for rookies but on the other hand, I'm a little concerned that it is taking a rookie's energy to kind of get this team going. But hey, it is an 82-game season, and you kind of got to get it how you can get it. But I, I've been very impressed with Nasir, especially on the defensive end. Uh, a lot of fans were up in arms that Terry Stotts did not play him in that fourth quarter against Pascal Siakam. He was holding his own against Pascal, and then Hazonia went in, and Pascal went to work showing why he was the most improved player, and the Raptors maxed him out. And that was really it, Sage. We had no chance against the Raptors once Pascal went basically god mode, NBA jam on fire, and we had our best defender on him on the bench. So hopefully Terry Stotts learned his lesson and starts to trust Nasir Little. I know it's tough to trust a 19-year-old rookie that you took with the 25th you know, pick in the draft, but... He's our best starting power forward at the moment. Anytime that he can play, it's good for the confidence. Like, he hasn't looked out of place like some rookies do. He knows what his role is. It's to be energetic. It's to cause havoc. And he's doing it. And he's hustling and getting rebounds and getting clutch stats and clutch and being there in clutch moments. Like, this, every second that he plays at this level is increasing the confidence so that you can trust him more in the future. Terry Stotts is doing a good job at getting his rookie minutes. Like he took forever to get Anthony Simons minutes. It took him. I remember a podcast with you, me and Evan, where I was like, if pop was our coach, you think Zach Collins would be playing. And then like the next week Stotts played him. Like he's finally trusting those young guys that are high value picks to do their thing and that that's good on him and this year's proving it like I, I posted something on twitter where uh it's an article from like 2011 talking about royal jelly and how it helps uh rookies and young guys because these guys aren't finished products even though they're in the league they ain't finished products we look we have a starting center who 
was undrafted and went to another country for two years and now is a max he was a max player in 16 like none of these guys are finished products at at where they're at now and this year has so much to give an NBA team. So we're giving it, we're giving him that trust early so that he trusts uh, this team for his entire stay in Portland. And I think that's key. If we're looking at this season holistically, what you want to take from it, if you don't make the playoffs or if you struggle and, and you get bounced in the first round, you can look back at the injuries and how that impacted the season and you can kind of use that as your crutch. On the positive side, you want to look at the development of your young players. Unfortunately, Zach Collins was supposed to be a key piece. Hopefully, we see him towards the tail end of the season and he can get some development as a starter, especially in crunch time minutes and in big time games that have playoff positioning on the line. But leading up to that and all throughout this season, Anthony Simons is getting six man minutes. He's playing and making an impact down the stretch of really crucial games. And then Nasir Little, who, again, we thought this would be a redshirt year. When you're drafting 25th in the draft, you're typically drafting on potential. Hell, in the lottery, you draft on mm-hmm. potential, especially with these one-and-done players. And he's far from a finished product. He's only 19 years old. He would only be a sophomore in college, but he's now starting, similar to what Nicholas Batum did when he started as a 19-year-old. And if Nasir can just hit that three at a 33% clip, one of every three times, that is going to, one, boost his confidence. I mean, two, he's already got a really nice stroke, but that is just going to keep him on the floor. In today's NBA, you can no longer just have like a big bruiser who's out there to play defense. Like you've got to be a two-way threat and you can't make it feel like it's four and five on the offensive end. So if Nasir can hit that just short corner three, off of the catch and shoot, I think you're going to start to see that build his confidence. And mm-hmm. then he's going to be able to put the ball on the floor. I don't know if you remember, but that first preseason game against Denver, when Michael Porter Jr. made his NBA debut and he was kind of popping off and talking shit and Nasir was guarding him and Dame kind of pulled him aside and just said, I believe in you. Don't get caught up in the back and forth. Do you? And Nasir took him off the bounce, went behind the back, split two defenders and went up and under for an and one. That he has that. It's so hard to untap that from an NBA player because you have to have supreme confidence that you can pull it off because you don't want to get pulled for making a turnover. Mm-hmm. But that's when when those plays come out, it's because they're confident. And confidence starts with little plays. It starts with hustle plays. It starts with knocking down open shots. And it starts with cutting to the basket, getting rewarded, and dunking. Mm-hmm. You start to do those things. He's going to start to believe in himself. I mean, we've always talked about this on this podcast. NBA players are the best of the best. Even the crappiest NBA player would go down to your local 24-hour fitness and just own everybody there. It's the players who have confidence in their game and know that they can execute the moves that they're going to execute are the ones that make an impact. And Nasir, he's in a good culture. His teammates are helping him really thrive and provide opportunities. I think we're going to see him only get better with time. I mean, it's such a select few players that would be beasts anywhere they got drafted. LeBron James is going to be LeBron James, regardless if he was on Cleveland or Sacramento or Boston, whatever. He was going to be LeBron James. There's guys like Ben McLemore who we're going to see in Houston. He got picked to the the Kings, and that kind of ended his career because of how bad their culture is. Being drafted to a team that trusts you, 
And Terry Stotts has shown that he trusts Nasir to do to be a positive impact in the game is huge. Like the culture and trust from the coach is just as important as the trust in the player himself. I mean, one of the reasons Goran Dragic is as good as he is is because Alvin Gentry said, you have your 24 minutes, you can make mistakes, I'm not going to pull you. And he gave him confidence to be an all-star point guard for one year. Like having that flexibility from your coach and the trust from your coach is huge. And the fact that Terry Stotts is going away from, I'm going to sit these guys until they're ready to, I'm going to throw these guys out even if they're not ready just to see if they can sink or swim pull them if you don't think that they're doing that well so they they're not like their confidence is a ruin is he's doing a good job of developing this year little and i don't see enough praise for that in the community like he is doing a very good job at developing this young talent and yo when when we've we hit on draft picks we just have to make sure that this is a positive place for them to grow do you think i know we're in a positionless nba but bring it back a little traditionally where does he max out at is he a small ball four or is he a traditional i three? think he's a three if i had to be i mean he's six five and i know he has long wingspan but i think he in the perfect world he would be a smart, the starting small forward of a team what do you think is his player comp past or present man that's tough what do you think? If we're looking Blazers, I've seen the Gerald Wallace comp. Maybe I think he's possible. better, though. I mean, Gerald Wallace was an all-star. So if he becomes an all-star, I mean, at the 25th pick, again, I, I think he that was, would... He was value. I, I think I see bits of Gerald Wallace in terms of the hustle. I see bits of Jerome Kersey in terms of the athleticism and heart. Jerome Kersey was able to take every ounce of talent out of him and and perform as probably the third best blazer during the best era in in franchise history. He turned himself into a damn good jump shot shooter, Mm -hmm. all while hustling, going all out, blocking, defending, taking on the best defender on a nightly basis. To me, it's going to come down to can this year little shoot the basketball. I know it seems easy enough, but you look at certain players, Sebastian Telfair, for example, just could never figure it out. Jason Kidd, on the other hand, kind of revitalized his jump mm-hmm. shot and you factor in his all-world defense. He looks he's a Hall of Fame player and because playmaking. he was able to turn himself into a jump shooter. Uh, so it's just going to take a lot of work. But from what I've seen, he's being nurtured. He has a good head on his shoulders. He's got a great culture around him. I would bet that he does turn into a good jump shooter, but he, it's going to be on him putting that, in that That's work. all on him. I mean, Just like Will Barton did. Will Barton could not shoot when he first got drafted. He put in a lot of time. I mean, a, a lot of time and effort. And now he's a damn good shooter for the Denver Nuggets, and he's going to get paid. Player comp's kind of hard, but I can guarantee if he plays well, he's going to get maxed. Dribble pass shoot. He makes at least second team all-rookie. I shoot that because there's a lot of injuries and not uh, inconsistent players. So if he conti- if he sticks with this role, yeah, I think he gets it. Zion's hurt. There's a lot of guys that are inconsistent or have you know big time players in front of them. Like a Kobe White gets 20 minutes a game because the Bulls paid Tomas Sadarans 10 million a year, so they have to play him. Dude has a very good role. So, yeah, if he continues with this role, yes, he's going to be a sec- at least second team. 
Yeah, I'll shoot second team as well. First team is going to be tough just because you need big, big minutes. I mean, John Morant already looks like a stud. Zion, you know, is going to produce once he gets back on the court. RJ Barrett's uh, touches are insane. Gets a lot of touches. Uh, Hachimura for the Wizards has been a huge surprise. And then you got, you know, PJ Washington's playing well for the Hornets. Uh, Tyler Hero started out nice for the Miami Heat. Kendrick uh, Nunn. Yes, exactly. A Kobe White, like you mentioned, is having big moments for the Bulls off the bench, and you know he's going to continue to get time. You got Alexander Walker from the Pelicans, who's going to get time with all of the injuries in in New Orleans. It's actually a really dang good draft. Uh, Thibel is starting some games for the Sixers. Brandon Clark looks really good for the Memphis Grizzlies. So it's going to be tough, but given that the team's going to be without Zach Collins, until at least March, and yes, they brought in Carmelo Anthony, but Nasir Little's minutes shouldn't be impacted by that. At as all. long as he, he continues on this progression, I'm going to shoot him making at least second team all rookie, and I think that is a huge accomplishment for a player that we didn't expect anything from this year. Unfortunately for Roy, because I love him, Troy Brown's taking his minutes, and I don't like that. Davis Bertrands and uh, Troy Brown from Oregon are taking his minutes. Go Ducks, baby. Go Troy Brown. Take them minutes. Yeah, he he's getting man, this is this is bad because I'm talking about the Wizards and knowing what their finishing five is. Troy Brown gets a lot of minutes for this team. Uh, it, the finishing five's IT Brad Beal, Troy Brown instead of Rory, unless he starts off hot. All right, Sage, let's take a quick break from our sponsors, then we'll dive into the upcoming slate of games this week. For you, the listeners of Holy Backboard. Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com forward slash holybackboard. Again, that's getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard to download Grammarly for free. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard podcast. Dustin and Sage here. Sage, if you're a betting man, listen to this <laughs> podcast and do exactly the opposite of what I say because I have been getting absolutely sunned on these predictions. I put up a goose egg. Last week, I went 0-3. You went 1-2, correctly predicting the Blazers would lose to the Raptors. So on the season, I am an abysmal 3-10. and You are a respected 7-6. and But we have four games. I'm passing. Upcoming. Hell yeah. <laughs> We've got four games where I can make up some ground. Hopefully, I mean, the Blazers are just making me look so bad. But again, it, it's tough to predict it with this team. You have no idea on a nightly basis what you're going to get. But it seems like when they're challenged by a good opponent is when they play their best basketball. Mm -hmm. So Houston Rockets, Sage, they are dealing with a plethora of injuries. They are without Eric Gordon, Daniel House, Gerald Green, Nene, and Clint Capella is day-to-day, -day, did not play Saturday night. Uh, they are still really up top of the Western Conference, 10-3. and three. They have won seven straight games. They are 5-1 and one at home. This is going to be a difficult matchup, regardless of who they are missing. So, 
I was stupid and didn't think I could use the internet for breaking down the game. So I wrote notes and I have tons of notes about this Houston Rockets team. They are the second fastest team in pace. My handwriting's atrocious. Sorry. James Harden is the leader in the NBA in usage points per game and sixth in assist. Without Eric Gordon on the floor, James Harden has a usage rate of 39.4. God damn. Uh, without Eric Gordon out, with Eric Gordon out, Daniel House, Ben McLemore, and Austin Rivers has taken his spot. But House is out now. House is out. And I have this in my notes. Austin Rivers gets his minutes even when a nuclear attack happens. Austin Rivers gets 20 minutes a game. My notes are weird. But um, so they only really shoot three pointers and dunks. But in reality, they do barely get to the rim. So they are number one in attempts from corner three and then all across the uh, the three point line. Well, you look at this Rockets team and they're second in the NBA in points per game. They put up almost 119, but they give up 114, which is 22nd. So they will allow you to run your offense. With this Houston team, especially without all of those players that we mentioned, they don't go incredibly deep and mm. they're playing their starters heavy minutes. James Harden, Russell Westbrook did not play the previous game against the against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Harden took an NBA record, I believe, since 2008 or 2006, since Kobe Bryant played, played. He put up 41 field goal attempts. So, yes, he had 49 points, but it took him 41 My attempts. Man jacks so much. He took 22 threes. I mean, you mentioned it. They shoot the three ball. 49 attempts from downtown. Um it's no secret that the key to beating the Rockets is making them inefficient from the three-point line and then not letting them get to the free throw line. Mm-hmm. So, defensively in the first part of the year, they were really bad. Uh, they lost their defensive coordinator, Jeff Bedikas. Bezdelic. Bezdelic to the New Orleans Pelicans. And for, for the first few weeks, they were atrocious. Now... They are basically even with what they were last year. So it means they have been playing defense. The one way I think that we could attack them is driving into the lane because they aren't the best at protecting the rim, especially if Clint Capella is out with that concussion. You got old man Tyson Chandler and PJ Tucker as their rim defenders. And if, if Capella's out, you have to assume that T- Tyson Chandler's old ass is playing the lion's share of the minutes when uh, Hassan Whiteside's on the floor because Hassan would baby PJ. He only played 17 minutes uh, against the Timberwolves, and that was without Westbrook and Gordon and Capella. So they they went completely small. Against Carl Anthony Towns. So if I was Portland, I play Hassan Whiteside, and I leverage my advantage against their advantage. I'm saying whoever Hassan is guarding... Fine. Let them shoot threes. I I don't really care. I'm going to dump it into Hassan every single time. I'm going to get fouls. I'm going to get points in the paint. I'm going to slow the game down. You talked about the Blazers playing with some pace on the last episode. This is a game, lower the pace. Give Houston as few opportunities as possible to jack up threes. I think Portland needs to win in a 110, 105-point game. If it's 120, 130, there's no way we're keeping up with the Rockets. That means Houston's dialed in from downtown or they're living at the free-throw line. And Portland has found themselves fouling teams a lot lately. Seemed like we were in the penalty with like six or seven minutes Mm -hmm. to go every quarter against the Spurs. 
I'm concerned about who is going to guard James Harden. I think Rodney Hood's probably going to get that that designation. But on the other end of the floor, whoever is guarding Rodney, give him the basketball. Let Mm -hmm. him go to work. I I know PJ's strong, but Rodney's got the height. Austin Rivers is not going to be able to guard Rodney Hood. Neither is Russell Westbrook. Rodney Hood, to me, could be the X factor. Um, Rodney Hood and Hassan. Those two are, are... the biggest X factors for me, if they can live in the paint, we are going to have to make Houston pay for going small and playing Tyson Chandler. And how you do that, get to the foul line, get to the basket. If we try to go ISO King against the ISO King, we're going to lose. If we try to outshoot Houston, we're going to lose. We need to use our advantage and hopefully our advantage is stronger than their advantage. Do you think Nasir gets any minutes against uh, Harden? That's a very good possibility, especially if they go small and you can probably, you know, hide Dame against a PJ Tucker. Yeah, um, PJ or Austin really doesn't scare me. So if we threw Nasir in it to just body him, make him feel, make him feel him every possession, he might get some run. My one concern is our best premier defender is Kent Bazemore, but he hurts us so much in comparison to our other offensive players that. I'm not it, – it's going to have to be a, a play-by-play, basically, risk-reward analysis for Terry Stotts. Like, is he doing a good enough job on James, and is he making his shots on the offensive end of the floor? Because if Kent's on the floor as a finishing five, you obviously know you've got Dame, CJ. That means probably Anthony or Rodney may not be on the court, and we really need Anthony or Rodney, just the way they've been playing lately. So – Kent Bazemore, I know I've said like three X factors, but it's going to come down to Kent. Can he produce on offense because he is such a great defensive player? Rodney, we need to take advantage of them down low. And Hassan, we need to win the rebounding battle and points in the paint. And we can do that if Capella's not in there. That is a huge advantage for us. And Mm -hmm. I think it will be... This will probably be the the game I'm going to watch Terry Stotts the most because he should be able to outcoach D'Antoni, especially with all of the injuries that Houston has. You're not afraid to go small. Like, if you go full four guards and Hassan in the finishing five, you're not afraid of P.J. Tucker backing down Rodney Hood because, let's be real, they stagger uh, their two guards more than anybody else in the league, and those two guards are their offense because no one else shoots. No one else has a usage rate. No one else does anything except for those two guys. So are we really going to take the L if P.J. Tucker sees a, a matchup he likes and takes the ball away from James Harden? Well, that's that's a win for the Blazers if the Rockets are going to focus on a post-up when James Harden's just absolutely video game numbering it right now. So I would go small. But I would have to have Hassan Whiteside on the court because the Rockets don't – if we can end their possession the first time, it's huge because they they just get the rebound, pass it back to James Harden, and he initiates. If we can end that possession the first time without any offensive rebounds from Clint or Tyson, it's huge. Winner lost, Sage. I think we lose. I do as well. I would feel much more confident if we had Nurk, who is a, a better defender, or a Zach Collins – and Houston's just playing too well right now. I have a feeling regular season Harden is going to come out, probably get get to the line, and he's he's averaging damn near 40 points a night. But don't sleep on the Dame-Russ factor. 
If Russ takes this matchup personally, Portland has a chance. And if we come back next week and Portland wins, I think it is because Russ took more of his shots than than season average because he's trying to overcompensate for that personal matchup against Damian Lillard. The revenge narrative might be real with Russell Westbrook in this matchup just because Dame essentially ruined what he spent his entire career building. So he might take advantage of, I mean, like, in the beginning of the year, dude was getting triple doubles. He had a big share of the offense. And I mean, he still does, but it's James Harden's team, and he is doing what James Harden does, and that's produce a lot in the regular season. All right, on to the New Orleans Pelicans. It is a back-to-back. Sage, your Pelicans are beat up 3-9 and nine in the Western Conference, second only to Golden State Warriors in terms of bringing up the rear Obviously, no Zion Williamson. You're going to go through the litany of injuries, but this should be the debut of Carmelo Anthony, the much-anticipated debut of Melo. Sage, talk to us about Melo. Talk to us about how he can impact the Blazers against the team that you watch almost as much as the Blazers, the New Orleans Pelicans. First off, I th- I am playing Carmelo Anthony in Daily Fantasy against the the Pelicans, that is a plus, 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 plus matchup for any power forward going against the Pelicans. One of the fastest teams in the league in terms of pace. They really push the ball on makes and misses. So who's hurt right now? Derek Favors with his back. Frank Jackson with his neck. Brandon Ingram with his knee. Jaleel Okafor with his ankle. JJ Redick with his toe. Zion, uh, well, Zion is out, but Zoe Ball's hip hurts. Josh Hart's knee and Darius Miller has a torn Achilles. That's a lot of injuries. So who do you expect to be the starting five? I think I, th- I think Brandon st- plays. The people that I have a very good feeling are out is Zoe and Josh Hart. So I would say that it's um, Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday. Ooh. Uh, Derek Favors, Brandon Ingram, Kenny Hustle. JJ. Gotta, people don't know who Kenny Hustle is. Oh, Kendrick Williams. You should watch him. He was a really good glue guy. Uh, so And then Drew. I mean, dude, their defense is so bad because they're so fast. I think if we can be very efficient with what we do offensively, they can't. They suck at, def- they suck at de- defending threes. They suck at shooting threes. They foul a lot. They turn the ball over a lot. This is a good. This is going to be a Kent Bazemore game because they're just really reckless with their passing. If you read the lanes like Kent does, he could get like seven steals this game. This th- this team just isn't good right now, and they have good players to, you know, make good defensive plays. They just don't. Drew Holiday and Derek Favors are like the two plus defenders. In that starting lineup, the rest are just bad. It, it, yeah, it's I mean, the Pelicans give up more points than any team in the league, nearly 122 a night. Obviously, Drew plays really solid defense, but he can't guard both Dame and CJ. So my X factor is the guard that Drew doesn't have his eye on. I think you work the offense through them and then make it work. I, I think this is a game where the Blazers... <clears throat> It worries me. It worries me more than probably any game we have this week because, one, it's a back-to-back. 
Two, there's going to be all of the hoopla and distractions of Carmelo Anthony coming in. There's a lot of excitement, and there's another new player you have to get accustomed to. And it's a team they frankly should beat. Absolutely. And we have not done that this year. So I really don't know what to think. It's tough because, yeah, like, if you look at this team and see how injured they are, you can look past this team very easily. But we did lose to a team that's just as injured uh, in the Golden State Warriors. So hopefully the Blazers learned their lesson. It's just everything statistically is leading up, in my opinion, to, for Carmelo Anthony to have probably his top three game as a Blazer uh, versus New Orleans. They just can't. They just don't have the beef to guard him. I think, yeah, I think whoever Drew doesn't target as the his defensive matchup is going to go absolutely bananas against us or against the Pelicans, excuse me. So it, it, it's going to be a tough one for the Pelicans just to stop how many threats offensively we have. I also could see that if if uh, if Derek Favors is out, Hassan Whiteside could have a huge game just because. Jackson Hayes has no chance against Hassan Whiteside. So Derek yeah, Favors is a big X factor. I look at this game, and my X factor is going to be the Blazer, Blazer bench, in particular Anthony Simons. We need him to lead that second unit, provide some stability on the offensive end. New Orleans got really good production from their, their rookie Alexander Walker the yeah. previous game against Miami. He had 27 on 10 of 18 shooting, played 31 minutes a night. Jackson Hayes, the rookie, shot a perfect 6 of 6 from the field, had 12 points. The Blazers need to at least play the New Orleans bench even, especially with all of his injuries. I don't think that's asking too much. And then turnovers. Portland needs to take care of the ball when they lose against Golden State and they lose against Sacramento, they turn the ball over, they don't focus, and you start to see it unravel. So for, for this game, I want to see the Blazers really locked in from the get-go. So Penny's my X Factor. Then you've got the turnovers as being just the, the statistical kind of category to, to watch out for. I'm going to probably regret this, but I, I think the Blazers win um, but again, with my track record this year and the way this team plays against sub 500 teams, it, it damn near could be a loss. But the one good thing that the Pelicans do is force turnovers. The rest of the, the, the rims free, three points are three free. The one thing you can't do is force passes into Drew Holiday or Brandon Ingram's long ass arms. We force, they force steals. Uh, I go Blazers. Portland then gets a day off before traveling to Milwaukee to take on the Bucks and the reigning MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo. The Bucks are without Chris Middleton and are currently nine and three in the Eastern Conference. They're winners of three straight and have only played. They're like the Blazers. They've only played four home games to start the season, so they've had a very road-heavy season. Sage Portland got absolutely embarrassed the last time they played in Milwaukee. And we still have no answer for Giannis. And this is—is is, is there Middleton, any hope? Middleton being hurt hurts us because it gives more uses to Giannis. And I mean, but I do feel but, like Middleton was always a difficult matchup yeah, for C CJ. CJ's, but Giannis is a difficult matchup for any human being. Oh, absolutely. Too. So it, I mean, it means that Bledsoe and and uh, 
Giannis have more usage just because Middleton takes so much of it. So, like, the, the three people that actually scare me are Giannis, Eric Bledsoe, and George Hill. I think those are the three guys we have to worry about the most. I mean, obviously, Giannis, I, I, who, who, who can stop Giannis on this team? Is Nas Little going to get the first shot? I, I think you have to put Nasir on him. We don't have really anybody else that can stay can stay with him. So it's basically going to be like trying to defend Spicy P on steroids. I mean, that's how good Giannis is. So I would honestly try and make others beat us, but they do have shooters. They are starting Dante DiVincenzo. That is the same player that CJ dropped in Portland uh, during his rookie year. And they have former Trailblazer Wesley Matthews in that starting lineup as well. So they play pretty small mm-hmm. up up in the back of uh, the one through three positions. Obviously, they have Brooke Lopez, who has really turned his career around as a three-point shooter, and onto the Kupo. This is a veteran Milwaukee team. I mean, they've got George Hill, like you mentioned. They have Ursan Ilyasova, uh, Robin Lopez, Kyle Korver. They have got just vets that know their role. This is going to be a tough game for the Blazers. The one advantage they do have is Milwaukee has to go to Atlanta the night before. So we catch Milwaukee on the second half of a back-to-back, similar to how the Spurs were caught on the second half of a back-to-back after traveling from Orlando the night before. They have only played four games at home. This could be a slight advantage for our Blazers. Do you think... Who does Hassan guard? Brooke? So he's just out of the he can't get rebounds really. If if he has to give Brooke the respect he deserves, he's going to take that respect by force by hitting threes. And if anyone got that quote, good for them. Um yeah, that that's a tough matchup. Like who does he guard cuz Brooke Lopez could take him out to the three-point line and we have seen Hassan struggle especially in preseason when Aaron Baines of all players was knocking down threes. He wouldn't get out there. Hassan has got to have to be on his game. Otherwise, this could be another forty-point blowout, which happened last year. Because uh, you can't you can't have him guarding Giannis. Giannis is too quick; will take him off the bounce, and he's not rea- he's not quick enough on the reactions to get the bl- uh, blocks from the backside. So yeah, you're just gonna have to hope that Brook Lopez is off. Maybe get Brook Lopez in some foul trouble because really, the great matchup for him is the traditional center in Robin Lopez. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's tough because if. I trust him to be out there on Brook Lopez. He did a good job. Like he, 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 when he has to guard a stretch five, he does a fine job at contesting, and it's just the rebounds, man. So if Brook Lopez draws Hassan out, how are we going to stop Hassan uh, or uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo from getting rebounds against four guards? But when the Blazers have had success against the Bucks. It's when they kind of build a wall around Giannis and they almost play like a box and one, which Toronto played against Damian Lillard and they Toronto did in the finals against Steph Curry as well. Again, this is another game where I'm going to be looking at Terry Stotts and I know he doesn't have a, a lot of, you know, tools in the toolbox to, to, to choose from, but he's going to have to come up with something crafty to defend this team because like we've discussed, it's not a traditional Everyone has their own guy that they just man up on. They have the reigning MVP. Their center can take our center away from the basket. And we have one player that just cannot defend Giannis. There's not just one guy that we can say, okay, you got to shut him down. It's going to take, it's going to take a nation mm-hmm. uh, essentially mm-hmm. for, for us to come away victorious. Sage, what is your X factor and who do you have winning tonight or that three, night? Three point shooting for the last three years. 
the major weakness in the Bucks defense is their ability to stop threes. It has been a thing for the last three years. They cannot stop opposing teams from shooting. So I hate to say it, but that's our that's the one advantage we have is our ability to shoot. They can't they cannot defend threes. They like to funnel all the pressure into Giannis and Brooke Lopez. They cannot stop three-point shooters. That is the X factor of all X factors is how we're shooting in that given day. I say we lose this game because Giannis is fucking amazing. I think my X factor is going to be Rodney Hood. He's going to get matched up either against probably DiVincenzo or Wesley Matthews, and he's got a strength advantage and height advantage over DiVincenzo, and he's got a height advantage over Wesley Matthews. I think you can run a lot of offense through him. I think for Portland offensively, you want to see those assist numbers up, just as we saw in the first and fourth quarters against San Antonio. When we pass the ball and get defenses moving side to side, we're a, very diffi- we're a very difficult team to defend against. And then defensively, it's going to be players outside of Antetokounmpo. Are we going to let Giannis go one-on-one, or are we going to try and make others beat us? If we choose the latter... I don't think we can win if they have other if they have multiple players over 20 points. If Giannis gets 40 and everyone else gets, you know, 7, 8, 9, we're going to win that game. You can't just have a slew of players, you know, combining for 80 points. Um, I do think we lose. This is a team that is a bad matchup for us, even when we're fully healthy. I mean, I'd feel better if we had Zach Collins out there. But, I mean, I throw, I throw Nasir out there, and he's kind of just going to get you know, gonna have to kind of get a trial by fire. I mean, you're playing against so the league it, MVP. It's gonna be Kent Bazemore, Nasir Little. I don't think you can put Kent Bazemore in Giannis. He is just too tall. Well, who else would we put if let's just say we're u- doing our second unit? It's probably Hazonia. Dude, this I mean, like who the like fuck I said, can, it's just like the Raptors, but who, worse. Who who can guard Giannis though? Like, there's like two dudes that can properly defend this freak of nature who's so good and he's gonna I play mean, more minutes the toronto raptors last year were his kryptonite they had mark gasol who was mobile enough to react and help on on the defensive end of the floor off of off of the weak side they had Kawhi leonard who's probably the best individual lockdown perimeter defender and then they had really great help defenders in siakam and abaka i mean they had forwards for days that could build that wall around Giannis. And if you turn him into a jump shooter, you have a shot. We just, we have forwards that, you know, can stop him for half a second when, I mean, the the Raptors are built for, for that. And we play this team twice. So why would we, you know, change our roster to, to stop them? But these two games are good. Could have the potential to be rough. I, I think it's three point shooting. Unfortunately, we lose. But we play the Cavs next, and we do play the Cavs. They are currently four and seven on the season. They have lost uh, two straight games. They are two and three at home. Like the Bucks, we will catch them on the second half of a back-to-back Friday night. They play uh, Dallas in Big D. Then they have to come home to to play the Trailblazers, who will be rested. And this will be the fifth game of the six-game road trip. This is one the Blazers absolutely have to have. Getting the San Antonio win really opens the door for a 4-2 and two road trip. Mm-hmm. And with all of the games that we have just given away this year, 
we need to start getting those back. And if you're looking at the season as it is, if you're a Blazer fan, there's obviously some things to be excited about, but there are some things to be concerned about. And two of them are our home record, which doesn't apply this week, but we were 32 and nine last year at home, which was third best in the league. We're currently one and four. And secondly, which really impacts this road trip is how well we played against the Eastern Conference last year. We were 24 and six against the East in 2019. We're only one in three right now, and we haven't really dealt with any Eastern Conference teams on the road. And we're going to talk about Chicago next week, but Chicago follows this Cleveland game, and then we get Chicago on Black Friday at home. So we have really a plethora of weak Eastern Conference teams that that really we need to put our foot down and start racking up some wins because, yes, it has been a road-heavy schedule, but given all of the injuries we've kind of faced against other teams— our schedule really hasn't been as difficult as I anticipated it being looking at the schedule back in, back in July. So I'm calling my shot here. Dame and Hassan have ceiling games. I think Hassan probably goes for 30. I would say Dame goes for 45. This, the Cleveland Cavaliers are bad, or Brooklyn Nets bad at defending point guards. And Well, I mean, they start Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, a rookie and a second-year player. So yeah, Dame so and CJ... Both should feast. Well, what I'm why I specifically said Dame is because they, I know looking at positional rankings is a risky proposition because one through four, a lot of players switch defensive assignments. You saw OKC Russ never guarded Dame in that in that because they put Paul George or whomever, but positional rankings. When you're making a shot like this, they're pretty atrocious at defending point guards and centers. They're actually good at defending wings. So I'm I'm taking my shot. These two have ceiling games, and it with how bad they are defensively, I think that Anthony Simons gets a lot of run in that second unit because of how easy it will be for Damon Hassan to score. And so right now, Cleveland is dealing with a little bit of injury as well. John Henson and Dylan Windler are out. Larry Nance and Ante Zizic are are day-to-day. This is going to be a game you've already touched on, on Damon CJ. We cannot get torched by Kevin Love, and we can't get bodied inside by Tristan Thompson. So Hassan has to win that matchup inside against a, a rejuvenized and revitalized uh, Tristan Thompson. And then again, Nasir Little, he is really getting thrown through the ringer this week going up against, you know, Pascal Siakam and now he's got to go up against, you know, probably, you know, Kevin Love and Love is a different type of big. He's got to have to stay out on the perimeter. So I really look for, for that matchup. Portland's going to have to play some defense. They cannot let this game get sloppy. You talked about Anthony. I think we need good games from Anthony and Kent. There is no reason we should not win this bench battle. Uh, you know, they've got Jordan Clarkson, rookie Kevin Porter, Larry Nance is a game time decision, and uh, Matthew Dellavedova. This game to me has Kings potential. The Kings outworked us. They wanted it more, and they just played crisper basketball. We have more talent, but will we prove it? And this, again, is the fifth game on a six-game road trip. The team starts to think about coming home. Thanksgiving's the next week. This one worries me more than it should. Uh, what do you think, Sage? Do you think we get the Dubsky? 
I think we do, but I, I want to ask you a question. Because I've watched Ryan Anderson play a lot, and he always has trouble. And I think most stretch bigs have trouble against athletic wings, such as in this year little. Do you think that he could be a positive impact defending Kevin Love if he decides to stay in the perimeter? Just because of it, yeah, just because of his athleticism and the wingspan and all the other great intangibles that he has, he could be a really good irritant for a Kevin Love. I think Kevin Love's a better matchup than Giannis or Pascal. Absolutely. He needs, I mean, yes, he is a strong player, but asking him to defend long fours is tough because he is only 6'5. He's got really good lateral quickness. So I, He'll be in his pocket. He'll be in the pocket all day. The one thing that Nasir has to focus on for this particular game is boxing Kevin Love out because, dude. And Hassan. Hassan's got to box Chompson out as well. We cannot give up second chance points against this team. That's a way that Cleveland can hang around. Again, just like with New Orleans, I don't feel good about it. And probably against better judgment, I'll say the Blazers win. I think Blazers win. But gang rebounding has to be a thing in this game. The, like... It has to be the Robin Lopez type of box out and have, you know, the guard get the rebound because those two guys re- in terms of rebounding are fantastic and we can't let them get those second and third opportunities. But because of their guard and wing depth, it's so bad. Dame should have a fantastic game against this bad team. All right, Sage, we got a couple of fan questions before we wrap this bad boy up. At HGoatSide21, you guys going to max Whiteside in the offseason? I'm just going to do a quick nope. No. Maybe he comes back. Maybe he doesn't. But he is definitely not getting the max. Uh, Hopefully he plays at a clip like he did against the Spurs, which would help us tremendously. Uh, And a a question that's near and dear to your heart from Michael's first. Will Sage's 2K (laughs) corner be making a return to the podcast? I mean, he he is the starting small forward on the uh, Pro-Am team, so I guess he wants me to talk about how uh, today the, the 2K gods have smiled on us and are doing a uh, Pro-Am double XP day. So I'm very excited to get off this podcast and play Pro-Am. And uh, Pro-Am's a 5v5 version of the game, like with actual NBA rules and such and such. Like, we play Park a lot too, but... Yeah, I'm. Two K is fun. I really enjoy it. There's a lot of bullshit that surrounds it, but it when you actually play the game, it's fun. I enjoy it. All right, Sage, we are nearing an hour and fifteen. Let's wrap this baby up. It's a beautiful Sunday afternoon here in Rip City. Sage, let our fans know where they can listen to us. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Himalaya podcast, nothing but net radio Tuesdays, two to three. Uh, you can see, you can, I fucked up on the video, but you can listen to this podcast on uh, YouTube. If you're that type of person and our YouTube is holy backboard, uh, youtube.com slash holy backboard PDX PDX. And uh, I'm going to try and stream 2k this week. So check me out on mixer.com. I am really looking forward to Carmelo Anthony and his debut. I hope the Blazers can go 2-2 two two this week. If we get a 4-2 and two trip, then beat OKC in Chicago. Sage, we're at 9-11. and 11. That's almost 50-50 going through 20 games, which is what we wanted. Ambush, uh, dribble pass, shoot. Do you think he gets more than 8 points 
against New Orleans. Oh, I'm shooting that. I mean, <laughs> Mello, you shoot that. Mello's going to be shooting. Give him the rock. I mean, I'm ready to, to see this team. Uh, I tweeted out before the San Antonio game, I have never been more intrigued by a 4-8 basketball team. Uh, very low expectations to see if Mello can can get it done. But if he does, uh, he's going to have the, the basketball world and community buzzing. So I am excited. If he wants to wear seven, let the man wear seven. Melo we'll has see. two good games against Cleveland and New Orleans and has two bad games against uh, the two good teams that we talked about. He's not playing Houston. Okay, then he's going to have one bad game against the team that we talked about. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go!